from the creators of the hit kids podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix Brainchild, comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who've just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time, packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. It's perfect for ages six and up, and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. Episodes are about 15 minutes, the perfect length for car rides, meal times, break times, and bedtime. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, and they work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. The goal of math is to weave humor and education together so that kids won't even realize they're learning. We loved Who Smarted? So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids, and you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. It's sure to please your family as much as it's pleased ours. Negative reinforcement is when something unpleasant or uncomfortable is taken away in order to increase the likelihood of a behavior, of a desired behavior. You take away something unpleasant in order to get the desired behavior. So, for example, if you spank a child, that is an example of punishment. But removing restrictions from a child when she follows the rules, that's an example of negative reinforcement. Welcome to Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about how to manage those tricky emotions that show up in all families. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. And I'll even tell you what to do and what to say. Okay, Lynn, so yesterday I said, I think we should be watching this The Parent Test, new show on ABC. And I had pretty low expectations because I thought it was going to be pretty sensational and sort of, I mean, I'm going to be honest, when The Bachelor came out, I was a single gal, actually, and then court, your brother was courting me through the first season. Courting. Yes. But yeah, we watched The Bachelor for a while. I don't watch it. So I thought, okay, here's for when you've aged out of The Bachelor, I thought it was really good. Well, I was hearing about it too. So what you told me your hairstylist was talking about it. I was getting some messages from friends saying, have you seen this new parent test? You have to watch this. Yeah. So I went in with very low expectations. Same. Um, also even an expectation that maybe I was going to be able to get out some of my irritability by just sort of complaining about it. And that was not the case. Right. There are still things I'm sure you didn't like in it that I also didn't like. However, I found my whole family's now watching it. Like we're not completely caught up for all listeners. We could only squeeze in five episodes yesterday. Well, yeah. I mean, there's definitely things about it I don't like, of course, and I can talk about those things. But I thought there was a lot in it that was very provocative and very interesting in a way that I did not expect at all. Same. Let's talk a little bit about the structure of the show where these various parents represent a certain style of family. And that was a little contrived, like the natural family, the traditional family. 
And that was very much come up with a name for your parenting style. And there wasn't really a lot of basis in that. However, I still think they did an excellent job showing such a variety of families. I credit the show's producers of doing a good job there. Yeah. The one that I thought was the name that was really silly was New Age Parenting. I know. If that's what they think is New Age, they (laughs) haven't been in the New Age world. That was not New Age. My definition of New Age. Well, I think New Age is such a phrase that I think everyone has their own definition, truthfully. Yeah. And a lot of people have a very negative reaction to that phrase, like, oh, that's so New Agey. And I think they were trying to The categories of what they called the parents, I thought were, like you said, really contrived. And there was a lot of overlap between the two of them. I thought that was a way to try and make it sort of more controversial than it actually was. Right. But it also was a way to structure the dialogue so that if they had chosen this adjective or this style, they could say, well, how would you relate that style that you've chosen back to that scenario? Right. And the funny thing is that there were quite a few parenting labels that weren't there. And the one that is to me the most obvious omission would actually be one that you and I probably might consider closest to our own, which was attachment parenting. And for people who don't know what that means, I'll sum up my version of it is that you make choices when your child is little to give them a sense of security and connection for the point of launching them with independence and the ability to be curious and explore and move away from you. Yeah. And I would probably use the term, I mean, there's attachment parenting for sure. But again, that gets a bad rap too, because then people say, oh God, you know, you nurse your kid until he's six and that kind of stuff. I actually prefer the term connection parenting. Right. Are you making that up? Well, I'm allowed to make things up. (laughs) You're allowed. I come up with all sorts of things. And one of the things that During when you're watching this, they don't have this category because it would probably apply to many of the parents that are sitting there, is that there would be this category of, I'm working through my emotional baggage parenting. Which is everybody, though. Which is everybody. That's what I mean, like this idea. But they did a good job of sort of making that connection between how these people were trying to very consciously, with not a lot of self-awareness, work through what they dealt with in their own parenting. That came up a lot in their discussions, which I thought was great. Well, and actually that kind of speaks to the point. The thing that I thought was so great about the show before we get into some specifics is that there are so many universal truths about parenting that I thought the show was actually very connective. It's about vulnerability. It's about all of these challenges that we face how much we all love our kids the same amount. I don't believe that parents love kids differently. I think the love we have for our kids is one of the most powerful, universal, vulnerable forces. And I love that it kept coming back to that. Yeah, it kept coming back to that. There was a really clear interplay between I'm trying to work on my own shit here and I really love my kids and I'm trying to do the best for them possible. And we kept seeing the collision of those two things in a lot of the family's descriptions, which I thought was really interesting that, you know, the reason I work with parents all the time is because we're always trying to figure out what is it about us that we need to pay attention to as we bring this into our relationship with our children, right? I mean, we've talked about this, the emotional baggage, the things that we dealt with as kids, the things that we dealt with in our culture, 
all of those things, it kept banging into each other in a really good way. I thought they did a really good job with that. So let's talk a little bit about the way they set up the show with these different types of challenges. Different families would have to lead their children through these different challenges. And this is where I actually thought, I think the show has limits because one of the things that we as a family watching it just said, sometimes the challenges were just not age appropriate. (laughs) Right. And so therefore, how could you even expect that? And I really liked the parenting expert would say, this challenge isn't literally about this. It's actually about this, which I thought was good. And that's really echoing the skill building approach that you have. And I thought that was good. I feel like it would be my fantasy that they would even emphasize skills even more as a takeaway of, because that's what parenting is. It's thinking about all of these different skills. Well, and I think probably the challenge of the show was to come up with these very defined situations that they would put kids in to see how parents would respond to it, to see how kids would respond to it. And again, I was sort of like, okay, so I would have much rather had a challenge and maybe it's coming up. I haven't watched all the episodes too, is like, your kid is going to a birthday party, (laughs) right? What are the skills they need? How are you going to help your child? Or you're sending your the first day of school. Like I would rather have more situations with kids that show up. Having a little kid jump off a high dive didn't really, to me... You could see how the different parents dealt with it, for sure, and the language that they used. But I didn't think that that was a real test of some sort of parenting style. I'd like to note that just on the, that was the first challenge and probably one of the simpler ones. And I was wondering, I didn't feel like any of the parents got into Lynn Lyons territory in that challenge. I felt like if I, as a listener of you, would have taken that upon myself with my kids, there would have been these strategies I've learned from you since that I didn't see the parents using. And the thing that I noted most of the whole show, the power of front loading. Yeah. Because like you get a challenge to go off a diving board and then like, oh, you're going to start talking to your kids about their emotions as they're looking down into the pool. Right. A little too late, mister. Correct. So I do wish they had done some of, and there was one little bit of talk where they said, we help our kids work their way into things. There was one set of parents that says, we really try and take it a step at a time and we work their way into things. The other thing I didn't hear a lot of on the diving board, except for one parent said this, is of course you feel nervous, right? That's a normal feeling to have. There was a lot of sort of like, you can do it and it's only water and it'll be fun, right? I mean, I heard this sort of, These kids are standing up there and they're expressing very clearly like this is scary, this is hard. And I saw a lot of parents jump in to try and say things like, you can do it. It's not as dangerous as you think it is. You're not scared and it'll be fun. Like a lot of that sort of talking kids into things that in the moment, there wasn't a lot of validation of this is new and big and scary. I didn't hear that a lot of, I didn't hear a lot also of sort of normalizing the feelings that they would have when they're standing up there, except one parent did do that. Right. If I had been tasked with that, or I mean, you can say how you would have handled it, but you get the challenge, but this could be relating to you get an email from school or from the teacher or from a summer camp, right? Like, oh, here's a new challenge. 
And the first thing you do is I think you talk about it in a very neutral, like, oh, we're going to go and jump off a high dive. This is reminding me of the time that we did a rope swing into the lake for the first time and how we thought, oh my gosh, that's going to be so crazy and weird. And oh, do you remember what a great time we had? Right. Yeah. I bet this is going to be just like that. And then you know, you go up there and you've reminded them of their past successes and you validate that they're going to be afraid. And then some parents did this throughout the challenges and it's the genius, the play and silliness, like let's make this playful, totally changes the mood. If we talk about what we saw sort of that worked and didn't work. So what were the things when we're watching these parents? And clearly they had a few parents set up that you were supposed to be like, oh my God, right? If you watch the show, there was one, was it the intensive parenting? Come on, just jump. Yeah, you're going to do it. Go, you have to do it, right? So I think one of the things universally that I saw over and over again, if I were to look at what I'd want parents to take from this as they were watching it, is that the families that were playful, there was a lot of playfulness and silliness in these families, except for a few. There was none. You would see there was absolutely none. There was one family where the mom clearly did not know how to play. And she admitted that she didn't know how to have fun. There wasn't really a connection with her daughter. I thought that to be very sad. And there was another family where there was a father that was very serious, very caring and loving, but very serious. But I saw a lot of playfulness, a lot of silliness a lot of laughter. I thought that was really great about it. Let's take a break. And when we come back, I want you to tell me your cringy moments of the show. Okay. I really have to pay attention to hydrating properly. I work out a lot. I talk all the time, as you know. I am pretty active and I don't drink enough water. So I'm constantly thinking about how it is that I am going to hydrate in the best way possible. And I'll tell you, if my water has a little bit of flavor, it's so much easier for me. And if I can get those electrolytes, if I can get more bang for my buck, it's just so much better. I have been using liquid IV. I put it into a huge glass. I put it into the refrigerator. It's cold. It's very tasty. I've been putting it in my water bottle when I go to the gym. The packaging is so convenient. I actually look forward to drinking it, which is not something that comes naturally to me. I love the lemon-lime flavor. They've got a sugar-free option that is really great. So I think that if you're somebody like me that has a difficult time getting in the amount of hydration that you need for your body, Liquid IV is a great option. One stick, 16 ounces of water, it hydrates better than water alone. It's got three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, and it doesn't have all that sugar. It doesn't have artificial sweeteners. Eight vitamins and nutrients just for your everyday wellness it's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. However you hydrate, grab your liquid IV, hydration multiplier, sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code FLUSTER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code FLUSTER at liquidiv.com. You know, sometimes people wait until something bad happens to talk to a therapist, but why wait? Therapy can help you shift your perspective, find tools to cope in difficult times, and feel grounded in your personal relationships. 
So getting started is the important part. Talkspace makes it easy and affordable. With Talkspace, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. It's incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions with your licensed therapist from the comfort of your home, your car, your office. There's no need to commute to appointments and miss time at work or line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. That's right. And it's secure and private. They use the latest end-to-end bank-grade encryption technology to store client information, complying with the latest HIPAA regulations. Remember, Talkspace is affordable and it's in-network with most major insurers. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with your licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. Okay, let's get back to this conversation. Okay, so my cringy moments. There weren't as many as I thought. And actually, the first episode probably had the most cringy moments. So there was one really high-powered, focus, intensive parent. They referred to themselves as intensive parenting. And just some of the language that this parent used, I thought, obviously, they edited it to bring up these things. But she said that no successful people complain about their parents. And I was like, really? So I wanted to say, like, have you read Andre Agassi's autobiography? Because holy crap. Yes, a lot of successful people complain about their parents. This mom also said that she's really working toward creating the competitive edge. And I was like, oh, boy. And this mom also says that her daughter thrives on negative reinforcement, which I was like, I bet not, right? Negative reinforcement. So just so you know what negative reinforcement is, because it's not punishment. Negative reinforcement is when something unpleasant or uncomfortable is taken away in order to increase the likelihood of a behavior, of a desired behavior. So for example, if you spank a child, that is an example of punishment. But removing restrictions from a child when she follows the rules, that's an example of negative reinforcement. Here's another example. Say you want your child to make their bed and you say, I'm going to keep nagging you and nagging you and nagging you until you make your bed. And then when you make your bed, I'll stop nagging you. That's negative reinforcement that you remove the negative in order to get the child to do what you want. Mm -hmm. The irony is that sounds like negotiation, which is another style, which I didn't really quite follow. No, that was bribing. Totally. (laughs) So they kept saying negotiation parenting. That was bribing parenting. So that was one of the other things they kept saying. So it's, I'll give you this good thing. I'll give you this reward. Yeah, there was no negotiation. It's like, if you follow my instructions, then you get the chocolate milk. So the intensive parenting, I'd like to just say, since I was describing like non-egoic parenting, the intensive parenting would be the polar opposite of what my husband and I would try to do. And here is a good clarity on it. Would you be making all of those same choices for your six-year-old daughter if you had no capacity to share any of her accomplishments with anyone other than the three of you. If all of the choices you make have to remain within the three of you, what would you do differently? 
There is no gratification of your ego based on your child's successes. Therefore, the choices that you make are about their own emotional wholeness. Yes, that is true. Although I would say that a lot of people who are parenting through their own ego, it's not just necessarily what other people think, it's how they value themselves as a parent. So that's where we get a little bit of that. My self-worth is based on my child's successes. So even if you're not sharing them with other people, you yourself feel like your child's achievement or failures are a full reflection of you as a human being. As opposed to what you're doing to support what genuinely is best for specifically their emotional growth. Correct. So when somebody, if we look at sort of the real kind of narcissistic parenting, it's basically that there's not a separation between what feels good for you or how things reflect for you or how they make you feel and what's good for your child. So you want your child to be a basketball player because you were a really good basketball player and because it reflects positively on you. To refer to Andre Agassi, Andre Agassi's father wanted to have a child that was a number one tennis player in the world. He had three children. He didn't care which one became the number one player in the world. He tried his strategies, his abusive strategies on all three children, and it happened to work best with Andre. That was not about what Andre wanted at all. It was about what he wanted. And we may say that it was because he was sharing that with the world, but it really had to do with his decision. It can be both sharing with the world, but also the way that it reflects on your own self-worth and your own value. Yeah. You know, and I think that in most of the families that they showed, and again, I haven't watched all the episodes, I didn't see a ton of that. And in fact, one of the families, it started out that you thought that that was the case. And then there was a really good shift in understanding where that parent was coming from, that it wasn't really egoic or narcissistic at all. I thought they did a good job with that one. Are you talking about the effort of the high, is it the high achievement pair? They called the high achievement parent. Yeah. And that's actually, so his conversations of the challenges of being a single gay black male father, I loved how it was creating empathy for people who don't have people like him and friends like him in their lives. I thought that that's actually what was one of the greatest parts of the show is that it's helping families around America see lots of other families not like theirs. Yep. And that part of the show was actually what was very warm and fuzzy because it comes back to we're all striving for the same goal. And many of us have several different hurdles to overcome in order to do that. And I thought that was well done. Yeah, I think it was, for me, it was more than warm and fuzzy. I thought it really challenged us to think about things through a different perspective. The show did a much better job of creating empathy than I thought that it would. It was much more about understanding other people's perspectives rather than just being critical of other people's choices. So see, we keep coming back to what we liked about the show because it surprised us. But okay, so what was another cringy moment for you? Another cringy moment was that I didn't think when they went to the restaurant and they were presenting these kids, I thought they didn't have to present them with like sashimi and 
octopus. I mean, they could have presented them with a variety of foods that were out of their realm of their normal experience without going so far in another direction. I felt like the families couldn't win in that situation. So one of the things that really bothered me about that challenge is that it's just not fair to challenge children outside of what is age appropriate. And so to expect a three or four year old, because there were some little kids to go to that, like when we have really good eaters and we have good diners as families go, we take our kids all over the place because I am in travel. Mm -hmm. But what that means, does that mean that my son, when he was three or four, didn't ever have a total freak out at a restaurant? Yeah. Well, first of all, we knew what a three-year-old could handle. Right. Therefore, we didn't expect a three-year-old to sit through a tasting menu at some fancy place, right? We would understand that there would be an adult assigned who would go and like take them explore the lobby of a restaurant or whatever. And it's like meeting kids where they're at is so critical. And they said, we're going to go to a restaurant where they don't have a kid's menu, where there's no crayons. And I thought, well, no, but families learn that if you want to go out to dinner, we have to come up. Like my mom, one of the things my mom would do when we would go out to dinner is we'd sit down and she would, the waiter would come and, you know, even the hostess would come and pour the water and she would say, we need an order of French fries now. Right. And because we knew the kids were hungry, that sitting and waiting wasn't really conducive to a happy family experience because it's just going against all of the developmental stuff that kids need. So yeah, I thought that was a bad challenge. I felt so sorry for that poor little girl that went and vomited, not to ruin it, but it was just really not age appropriate, I thought. I just want to give a shout out to your mom right now. All right. So there's a meme that circulated that showed, it wasn't really a meme, but it was, I'm sure somebody like scary mommy circulated it. It showed a big family dinner with like maybe a dozen people, but it showed the mom of the newborn at a different table by herself. I'm getting verklempt. Yeah. And they show this new mom with the baby being separate from the rest of the family, not acknowledging Family celebrations have to include everybody. And I saw that image and I was like, not in my mother-in-law's family. I know. There were so many times, right, when we would go and visit when the kids were little, when your kids were little or my kids were little, and she would work very hard. She would do very, very amazing things to make sure that we were all included. Yeah. Especially when you're a new mom. Yeah. And you've got the baby or you've got the toddler and you're in those situations. You have to have a plan. You have to have a team. But we learned all of that because she showed us how. Yeah. And we also never tried to do things that weren't appropriate for the kids in the first place. No, that's exactly true. Like just you sit and eat and I'll take the baby, right? You sit and eat. I'll walk around. I'll get the French fries. Yeah very consistently looking out for us as new moms. Or even moms of toddlers or moms of multiple kids. Yeah, that's so true. Thank you, mom. Thank you. Okay, so back to cringy moments. We keep clearly saying how much we love this show. So back to cringy moments. The whole stranger danger thing made me cringe. Ick. Yeah, ick. So for a few reasons. One is that the research is pretty clear that all of those stranger danger programs are completely ineffectual in giving kids the skills they need. So I thought that was a setup. So I knew even just watching it, as soon as it started, I knew that the kids were going to open the door and it was going to be really disturbing for everybody to watch that happen. So I thought that was kind of a setup. And then the expert gave a statistic, which I thought was misleading. Yeah, we all went to our phones to Google that. 
2,800 a day. Or a year. No. Hey, a day? A day. Okay. So what we know is that stranger abductions of children are very rare. And the statistics about those, the frequencies of those have not changed since the 70s. The number is so bloated because of um, older children, missing children. There's a lot of different categories of scenarios in that 2800 that makes it sound much worse than it is. Most kids are taken by a family member and it's usually most frequently it has to do with a custodial issue. And that's where that number comes from. So the idea that the person comes to the house, knocks on the door and takes your child, it happens, of course, and it scares. I mean, that's just horrible. It does happen. But it's very, very rare. That number was misleading. Right. So when we come back, let's talk about the presence of anxiety and all of the families and how they talked about it. That was very interesting. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Okay, so now back to the show. Okay, (laughs) the presence of anxiety. You know, it would be an interesting show if they did it, is that we would work with anxious parents and put them into these kinds of situations or challenges, although I would pick different challenges and coach them through responding differently so that their anxiety wasn't at the fore. So it would basically be like the work that I do with families and parents, except it would be a TV show. 
I think that would be a good idea. Actually, I think someone wrote to us proposing that. Oh, really? Like a YouTube show. Oh. Yeah. ABC, if you're listening. Yeah. ABC, if you're listening. Yeah. Sort of like, remember the nanny show where she would, you know, Joe the nanny would go into the house and because people oftentimes say, you know, like, well, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do it? It would be cool to see that. So we're going to take your child into a restaurant or we're going to, your child is terrified of getting a shot. And so we're going to go in and I'm going to show you how to coach through it. Yeah. So anyway, the anxiety in the parents. So what did you notice about the anxiety in the parents? I think the thing that I always feel like I'm saying until my face is blue is that the free range parent, that mom was very open talking about her anxiety and calling it as such in a way that no one else really did. But there was clearly a buffet of anxiety patterns on display and the disconnect of people knowing what is their anxiety and what isn't is why you've got a good job. Well, and so we looked at that one parent, they called it routine parenting. We haven't talked about that, where there was a routine that everything was scheduled. So breakfast at six, out the door at seven. They had a scoreboard, like an electronic scoreboard, where they went through and gave points to the kids if they did the things they needed to do. So that was a cringy moment, by the way. My cringiest moment was when they said they start their day with chocolate cake and waffles. Oh, my God. And one parent goes like, I don't think sugar is really that great, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. (laughs) My husband was making his roller coaster face in that scene. He's on a scary roller coaster and he's hearing parents start their child's day with sugar. That is his worst nightmare. Not only sugar, but chocolate cake. Yeah, the funny thing is when my kids were little and I was getting them to be flexible about what they would eat and what they would try, I often had a saying, I would say like joking, like, hey, not everything can taste like chocolate cake. I'm like, that wouldn't work in this family. Yeah. And those parents were anxious. That dad, one of the dads in particular was really anxious. Both dads. Yeah, both dads. But one dad I saw more so than the other dad, for sure. It was interesting. The woman who talked openly about her anxiety was the free range parent. So she was really moving away from this idea that she wanted to parent anxiously. They were the family that really went very far in the other direction of trying to allow their kids to have freedom and take risks and all that kind of stuff. I saw a lot of anxiety showing up in the need to control, of course. What's that phrase? You had that great phrase where outcome management, you say, right? Like the strict parents, that is all about outcome management. That's anxiety. So what do we mean by that? She had a challenge where she had to still micromanage her kids who were supposed to make dinner by themselves. She still had to very much micromanage it. She would have been too uncomfortable with the meal not coming out okay. She had to manage that outcome. That is the rigidity of anxiety. The other thing that I saw that was interesting in terms of the anxiety was the map challenge. And one of those dads really had a hard time. His face was hysterical. (laughs) He was really having a hard time. He was really having a hard time. Yeah. And that segment actually gave me anxiety because I have a horrible sense of direction and my husband is a homing pigeon. And so reading maps has always been a source of conflict in our marriage. Like when I have to read the map, it's terrible because I'm just so bad. My brain is so spatially backwards. But that was an interesting challenge of how much freedom were they going to let these children have to sort of figure this out and how anxious were the parents about making a wrong turn or not finding it. Yeah, it was very interesting. 
Yeah, that was a weird challenge because that didn't play out as one would think, because you'd think that you'd be given the map and the destination before you're driving on the road, because then you have an opportunity for the child to say, okay, this is, um, you might want to learn how to use a map and first, and then, and then you got this, right? Like there was none of that. And it looked like it was all insanity. Yeah. So again, I know it wasn't really about map reading as the skill that was being tested, they would say it was about how do you encourage your kids through difficult things and how well do you release control while they're doing it? Do you step in? Yeah, but to your point, I think it would have been much more like if we were in charge of what are the skills that we want to test is how do you introduce a new skill to your child, let them learn it, talk about it, and then how do you put it into practice? Exactly. Well, neither one of us, if we were truly tasked to get our kids to learn how to read maps, would we hand them a map in the back seat while we're on the road? Correct. So that's the part was a little stupid. Yeah. And I think it's a TV show. So they're trying to have it dramatic in that way. But a lot of these kids had never even seen a map before. They didn't even know what a map was. Now, the other thing that was interesting to me about this is I wish that they would spend a little more time on the sibling relationships, on the sibling interaction. How do siblings get wrong? And I haven't watched all the episodes, so maybe they're going to work more on sort of social stuff because the only social stuff that I saw was sort of in some of the families, the kids playing together or the kids working together a little bit during that map challenge. But I would be really interested to see going forward, how are they going to introduce social skills and the development of social skills? You know, the other thing about when it comes to siblings that I thought of, because you have a lot of opinions about this, there were two families, I recall, where the parent kind of spoke about one of the children as being the anxious one. Why don't you give a little parenting lesson about that? Yeah. So when you give your child a role in the family, children usually live up to that role. And so we really want to pay attention to saying even positive things like, oh, he's the artistic one and he's the athletic one or she's the musical one or she's the sensitive one or she's always been my troublesome sleeper or he's the anxious one. When kids hear that language about themselves, they then take that on as their identity. And you've heard me talk over and over again about how it's really important, particularly right now, that we don't give kids these identities that are permanent and it begins to be the way that they view themselves. When she was talking, this mom who was the one who said, I have anxiety as if it's this permanent thing, which always makes me go, mm, I have anxiety and my son has anxiety. And you can see that he's anxious. And there were even times where you could see that she was treating him pretty differently than she was treating some of the other children based on the fact that he had been identified as the one that has anxiety like her. Pay attention to that. I think it's great that she's talking openly about it. And again, we're just watching this TV show, but I would want her to talk not about how I have anxiety, but this is what I do when my worry shows up. I'm not a consultant on the show, so they're not using the language that I use, but that was an interesting illustration of how are we passing this down to our kids in a permanent way rather than acknowledging it and changing the patterns. I like that insight. What else should parents be thinking about as they're watching this show to make it kind of thoughtful? Okay. So, and also just, I think you should watch it with your kids, by the way. Like, I think that could be, do you think so? Do you think, I don't have little kids to watch it with or medium kids, but do you think it's a good family show? It did. We asked our kids what they would do if they were parents for the day. Yeah. 
Oh, oh. <laughs> like if they couldn't say, if they had to say yes? Yes. Yeah. My daughter was like, I think all I would ask you to do is finally watch this really critically acclaimed anime film that you've resisted watching so far. <laughs> She's like, I think I would take it as an opportunity to introduce you to things that I think you would genuinely enjoy that I haven't been able to persuade you yet. Oh. But she's 17. I know, but that's such a thoughtful response. Yeah. The four-year-old would be like, we would have ice cream. So yeah, so I do think it could be an interesting show to watch with your kids. So there are three things which aren't going to surprise anybody that I was looking for. One was that I was really looking for the playfulness and the humor. I thought that there was that they did a really good job of showing how important that was. One of the things you want to pay attention to as you watch the show is how are the parents fostering autonomy? Because when we see that control, how much were the parents allowing their kids? How are they allowing the lengthening of the leash in ways that were age appropriate? I think some of the parents did a really good job with that. And then I also would want you to focus on just what you see as the ability of these parents to connect with their kids. Were there parents, were there families that were really good listeners? How were they responding to their kids? What was their level of focus on what their kids needed at oftentimes, you know, these challenges were stressful. How were the parents tuned in to what the kids were saying and what they needed? So for me, it was humor and playfulness. It was connection and it was autonomy. Not surprising that those were the things that I was paying attention to. And some of the families, I think they did a really good job on the show of just showing some really fun, playful moments, some really great moments of connection between all of these parents that are really clearly invested in in loving their kids, of course. I thought of a cringy moment. Oh, okay, go ahead. I felt so badly and I cringed when this wonderful family, they call their parenting style traditional. And I really applaud the connection and the strength of the marriage that they have and was moved at the mother speaking of, you know, the connection she has with her father. But I also felt very badly where for the two single parents present, and I was also raised by a single mom for the most part. So having a partner is not necessarily what makes you a better parent. And so I felt very badly for the single parents hearing that message that bothered me. And I think that there are many challenges raising a kid by yourself. Yeah, of course. But it can be done. It can be done. Yeah. All right. So overall, we were more impressed by this show than we thought we were going to be. I was expecting it. Remember that show that we talked about a while ago where that Japanese show where they send the toddlers out on errands? <laughs> to go buy groceries. <laughs> I thought it was going to be similar. I, I thought I was going to have a similar. Like silly. Yeah, silly and like, oh my God. But it really, there was a lot of discussion that was very meaningful. Well, it was like real life examples of things that we talk about all the time. I genuinely loved seeing all the love on that stage and that studio. I love seeing all of these people share their vulnerabilities. I love, and I think we all see a little of ourselves in all the families. You know, it's not so simplistic. I don't know. I had a warm, fuzzy feeling after watching them. I did too. And when you say vulnerability, I think it would be, I was uh, pleased with how often the men allowed themselves to be vulnerable. 
in discussing things. Absolutely. Yeah. So overall, we give it a thumbs up. So guys, if you're looking for something to watch, can I just make one more plug of a show for people to watch? Sure. That is really very wonderful about connection and that kind of stuff is if you haven't watched the current remake of All Creatures Great and Small, which is being shown on PBS. It's in its third season right now, this remake. The third season is hitting it out of the park. But if you are looking for a great show to watch with your family or with your partner or something that is just, it's just a feel-good show, check out All Creatures Great and Small, the current. We're trying to figure out how to watch it. Oh, you can't get it? Do you stream it? Well, I have regular TV, so I just watch it on PBS when it's on. It's on on Sunday nights at nine, and I just record it. Like it's 1993? Yeah. So there's a lot of things in my house that are 1993. I don't think I've done that since Sex of the City. That you've watched a show that's on TV? Yeah. Like, oh, I got to record this show on Sunday night. Yeah, we record it on our VCR. <laughs> so I'm going to record over. We're running out of space on video, so I'm going to have to record over probably like the Madonna concert that I recorded also. (laughs) If this episode was helpful to you, you can join our Facebook community and we'd love it if you left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.